Welcome to the Brentwood Church Audio Podcast. As always, you can jump on over to brentwoodchurch.org or your favorite social outlet where you can find Brentwood Church and see what God is doing in this community. Now let's take a listen to this week's teaching. We are moving into a new series called Enjoy Christmas. Doesn't that seem a little bit different? Like, is it assumed that we're all enjoying Christmas already? No. In fact, Christmas sometimes is really hard to enjoy. And if you're like me, it's a very conflicted holiday because you start with all this happiness and peace and excitement and you quickly pile on office parties and shopping frenzies and murders at Walmart. Oh, oh, yeah. And, and you keep moving on into the season, you're thinking, I don't think we're hitting the mark of how the celebration started. And then sometimes those things can get so confounding, you start looking back, if you're like me, and say, is there a better way? And we believe that in scriptures it teaches the better way, that somewhere in the story of the original cast, there are hints about how to fully enjoy Christmas, and we want to reclaim that joy this year. So today, we're going to be talking through Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. If you're going to jump ahead and just read it, it's about shepherds, okay? So come on back to me now. Um, We're going to talk about that today. Those are the characters we're going to build on, and for the next 30, 35 minutes or so, we're going to look at the truth of God and ask Him to bring out the truth that is meaningful as it was back then, as it is today. So you might, uh, I don't want to assume still that you have the same cultural baggage that I do. So let's play, let's play along with this for a little bit. Uh, there, there's some happy parts of Christmas. What are they? Presents. Presents, yeah. What else? You have some family members. You, 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 you get to that point where you, maybe family's in both categories for you. Um, but you, you have the sense and the aromas and the familiarity and the traditions and and we can do an amazing musical number up here, and it's a song you know, and it's beautiful, and it's a reminder. And then we start getting into some of this negative side of, man, sometimes it's just too much. <laughs> you, get, you get overwhelmed, and the pressures comparing ourselves to each other are filled with debt and maybe greed and maybe embarrassment that we can't afford what they can afford or we can't experience what they can experience or... Maybe somebody around you is getting it better off this holiday than you are. Because this time last year, you thought you'd be in a way different spot, and you're not. And now the same recurring thing where you're walking into this Christmas season, going through some goal setting maybe towards the end of it, and saying, God, where, where are you? Where are you? Because this season didn't lead me last year where I thought it was going to lead me to now. So where are you? And what are you doing? For me personally... I, uh, I have this really awesome family tradition that fits in this good category that we've, we love. And I've mentioned this a couple times, but we, every Christmas morning growing up, I still get to experience this as an adult. Every Christmas morning, we would open our presents as fast as we possibly could. Not just so that they were open and that Christmas would last all 17 minutes, but because we always had this mass invite for a ton of people to come over to our house for breakfast at 10 a.m. Every Christmas morning, we invite family and friends and the friends that feel like family and the family that feel like friends, and everybody would come. So this year, we get to, when we go back home, 
at Christmas time. Um, we, we are going to be at Christmas morning opening gifts from our two boys and then getting them all put underneath the tree again so we can invite people into our home. My cousins from Florida, they're coming up with both of their kids. My cousins from Ohio will be there with all 18 of their kids or whatever. They're homeschoolers. You get it. Um, and and uh, so is my sister actually now. So <laughs> that hits a little too close to home. Uh, and she's bringing her four kids across. And it's just going to be this amazing moment underneath, the, uh, underneath this breakfast idea that if we can just bring everybody into the house together, maybe we can reclaim something beautiful about Christmas, that it's just people around together. But then also my Uncle Bob and Aunt Shirley will be there, who aren't really my Uncle Bob and Aunt Shirley. They're, they're more like really close friends. And they'll be there because they don't get to celebrate Christmas anymore with their kids that are grown up. And they just have a small gathering, and they look forward to coming and being with people. And Mr. Mack will be there, who is my parents' old youth pastor. Back in the day, uh, him and his wife, Dolores, they would always come, and they would enjoy. And he's lost her since then, so he celebrates Christmas on his own until he gets to our home, and he's with family. So it's this tradition I just love. I love it. And then, like, October hit this year. And I'm in the store, and all the stuff starts coming up. Right? Christmas arrives early October. I mean, that's okay for you, but for me, it just irritated me. And because I like my turkey without tinsel. And I like my pumpkin muffins without reindeer sprinkles on top. Like, just keep them separate because I will defend fall until she's gone. Like, all my family's birthdays in the same season, we're in the same point. So, so I got a little defensive about Christmas this year. I just said, wait your turn. I know it's cliche, but just, just do what you're supposed to do. And sometimes that just builds to this really weird spot. And, and it really hit an apex for me on Black Friday this year. So I'm, I'm going to mention this. And I know shopping's not bad, but it's just my angst. We've gotten to the point as a culture where there's a re- legitimate website out there. And it makes sense that it exists called BlackFridayDeathCount.com. It calculates all of the direct injuries or deaths that have happened because of this frenzied shopping day. And so it's aggregating newspaper articles together and says, here's this person who was stabbed, and here's this that happened, and there's this toaster that went airborne and hurt her. And it just seems so weird in our culture that we can wrap the beautifulness of this family and, and the tradition that we see in the New Testament, and we can wrap it into this thing with some cultural context. And it just makes you want to say, like, ah, this season is hard to enjoy for me. And so we're going to open up the scriptures because I think the thing that's going to help us reclaim everything we love about this celebration is not building on more traditions and passing out Jesus as a reason for the season bumper stickers on the way out. Because we've got to talk about this without making it trite. We have to talk about Jesus without making it plastic. And it's not the thing saying we should just ignore all consumerism. I don't think that's it either. I think... The thing that will help us reclaim joy this Christmas season is the centrality of Jesus in it. Everything's got a point back there, or probably missing the point. Luke, Luke 2, verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. We're going to open up. We're going to look at the story. There's a lot here that's going to be really fun to talk about. Uh, but in the end, we always want to get back to the centrality of Jesus Christ. Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to stop you here. I'm going to build a lot of context, and then we're going to read the rest together. 
Because I want you to make sure you understand this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Imagine shepherds in your mind right now. And if this helps, go back to that Christmas play when you're really little kids. You know how it gets cast, right? You, you know that every Christmas play goes the same way. You find your Joseph and your Mary first because they're the stars. And then you, you either find some baby who, who will be held by a small child in the play or you find a cabbage patch down and put them there. So you always look after Joseph and Mary. You say, give me the two most mature kids, either gender, we're going to put them in the middle. And then you take the beautiful ones, probably the girls, and you put them as angels, and you give them the halos, and, and you give them the prominence and the honor, and you put them in place. And then maybe you have a couple, you know, diverse families in your crowd, and you make them the wise men. And then, and then beautifully cast in the perfect place is the shepherds. Because who's left? My boys. And you either give them the role of shepherd or of herding the wilder ones. You just call animals. Like, you're just going to be a cow. Because <laughs> you appear, that's what you do the whole time anyway. And so you have this beautiful Christmas play. And to help us understand Luke 2, 8, I think the Christmas play is cast perfectly. Because in the whole host of characters, you have these small boys, outcasts. They, they surely aren't good enough to be Joseph. So you just do that thing. And what's my line, sir? Nothing. Sit there and don't be a nuisance. In fact, sit over there. You're out in the fields. Go farther away so you don't distract anybody. And, and so in, in the first century, shepherds were often this, this outsider, this thing. It wasn't always like that because you go back into the Old Testament. Remember, the Old and New Testament's one continuous story all pointing to the centrality of Jesus too. You run the Old Testament, Abraham. Abraham was a shepherd. His whole family, the lineage, they became rich because they were shepherds. And then you go down the line, and there's all these nomadic people all throughout the beginning of Israel in the story of the Bible. But they ended up coming under slavery of the Egyptians. And Egypt had land and territory, and they grew things out of the ground. And what eats things that grow out of the ground? Not the shepherds, the sheep. Yeah, the cows and the goats. And, and those things are eating this. So you have this major problem as Israel became to be no longer a nomadic society where they would travel around the region looking for fresh, uh, fresh eating and watering holes. Uh, and they became a nomadic people. Under 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they started rethinking and reprogramming their minds. This is important to make sense of this verse. So they eventually left Egypt and they started getting land of their own. God gave them the promised land. And in Canaan, they started acquiring wealth through property and land. And when you have land, you can grow things that stay in the land. You don't have to be so nomadic. And so Israel started devaluing the shepherd's role over time. It became the people that had to be out in the field at night, those that would be hired to watch out and to defend themselves because I'd rather defend myself against a rabbit trying to eat my garden than a bear trying to eat my lamb. And so the people that became attracted to this role and that were paid to do this role were rough people. And they began to be social outcasts or people that maybe even in this New Testament time period, when you would hire somebody to go out for months and months, they would be out in the fields from what would be April all the way to November. And sometimes with little oversight, you would have a crowd of people that would start to be untrustworthy. 
as those that would hire them to watch over their sheep would start asking, did I really have that many this year or did you take a little something for yourself? And so in the social cast of what we walk into in Luke 2, you have a group of people that have for a long time been objectively outside mainstream society. They're not the wise, they're not the, the intelligent, they're not the learned. They are those that are persistent in what they did though. Their primary job is defending and looking after the flock. This is so critical because when you look back throughout Israel's history, there's one particular character named David. What was David's role? He was a shepherd. When they came to anoint somebody from his family, they, they didn't anoint any of the first ten. They got to David and they said, is there anybody left? And his father said, yes, he's out in the, the field just watching sheep though. You can tell how Israel had changed their mind from that point to where this was not a valued profession. It was for the little brother to do. And that's what makes it so critical because God starts revealing how he's going to bring his son. It's not going to be from the heights. It's going to be from the depths, even in choosing David and the making Jesus of the lineage of David. So this is where these guys come in. Verse 8, it says, They were out in the fields, watching their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For today, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Did I skip some? No. Let's go verse 12. Let's just start there. (laughs) And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels appear. So the shepherds are going about their business. They are in the field at night doing what they've always done. And angels show up. And at the moment they show, their first response is fear. Because when God shows up in your life, you do the same thing. It's one of those, could this really be you? And the shepherds couldn't deny that because they saw the angels in the sky. But maybe they could. Maybe they they could have reasoned it away saying, no, 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 it can't be God. What what did we eat? What what did we ingest? Beverage or brownie? Where are we at that can make sense of these angels here? Because certainly this isn't God speaking to us. Or maybe they could go off with indifference and just say, wow, that was neat. Moving on. Or maybe they would respond in a way that says, who are we to accept that these angels would show up in our lives? But they didn't. Their first response is fear, and the charge from the angels is fear not. And at that moment, these shepherds had a choice. Because look at this. Look at what they say to them. The angels say, go back to uh, verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you, it's a very personal message, of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born today in the city of David. Okay, what was David's profession? Okay, maybe something there. The city of David, that's what Bethlehem was known by, but he addressed, they address it as if these guys would understand something a little different. Who is Christ the Lord? This will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. The angel already assumes they're going to find this. There's no if clause there. It's a charge to them saying, you're going to find this. You have a place to go. You have something to do. So the, so the shepherds could not respond to the angels with indifference or who me or any type of reasoning. They had to act. They had to go. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the shepherd's reaction continues in verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. We cannot diminish how much courage this must have taken them. There's even hints in this passage where it's a little more context to these shepherds. Not all shepherds owned the sheep they looked after. Some were hirelings. And you see how fondly the New Testament talks with those that don't own but are hirelings. They're men, and maybe boys are growing up, and, but they're people that, regardless of they owned or not, these sheep were their value. It's how they got a livelihood. It's how they were sustained. And their immediate priority turns from these sheep to the message of God in their life. And it says they went with haste. And it took priority immediately for them to respond to that. And not only that, they could have shown up and just like Abraham and Isaac's story, God said, okay, just kidding. I'm glad you went. Now I know you're able to go to the stable. But there's nothing there for you. They didn't. They showed up and he's there. And it's a baby wrapped in a manger. Again, a shepherding personal point to the story. The manger is where they were very familiar with. A central place of safety where their animals would feed. And that's the focal point when they get to the stable. The baby who is there. And the last point I want to talk about here uh, as we look in verse 17. So I want you to start noticing what happens. What's the reaction to this? The shepherds are in the field doing their thing. They hear from They hear from a heavenly host. They go, and the thing is what they said it would be. And then there's a reaction. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, shepherds. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. you have to build in an understanding of what's going on here again. These rough and tumble shepherds roll into the stable and start proclaiming some divine thing that has happened to them in a field. I've been in a, in a recovery room in a hospital twice. Last time I taught, I talked about that extensively and how much it scarred me. But when we are in that room waiting for everything to settle down and to start growing back up, It wasn't the place where we invited some rough and tumble shepherds in to hang out. Especially not with a divine message that just seems 
crazy. So you have this moment where the shepherds aren't the only characters in this story, but you see a couple people respond. It says right away, verse 17, everyone who heard this marveled. They wondered. But Mary, or and Mary, it's not in contrast to that, Mary treasured these things up in her heart. What's going on there? What do you think? Let's just sit for a moment. What's going on there? The shepherds tell them everything that they heard in the field. And there's something that happens that might have been a trigger for Mary. Let's look back at what the, shep- what the angels told the shepherds. Verse 14. They say, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's recorded. This hymn right here, the exact words of what they said is recorded. There's a couple other times all throughout the, the story in Luke 1 and 2 where there's, where there's some specific words of prayers or things said or, or praising of God recorded. So this is an important message right here. And Luke 2.14 connects back to some of the same language that nine months plus previous, Mary heard from the angel. You look at Luke 1, verse 30. He says, when he first comes to Mary, the angel says, you have found favor with God. You have found favor. And though the word favor, and then in, in Luke 2, 14, what the shepherds heard, it says, you are who, with whom I am well pleased. Those same words, though a little different, have the same meaning. They mean goodwill, delight, favor. You've just been pleased. God says, Originally, through an angel to Mary, you have found favor. I am pleased with you. I'm choosing you to be a vehicle for something important. And then all those things that can erode the mind of a small Israelite girl with social pressures and everything happening to her. At the very moment from the most unimportant and unpredictable source, perhaps what she's doing here in verse 18, 19 is that she hears a whisper from God again through the shepherd's voice. Peace on earth from all who I am pleased with. I'm taking a little bit of guesswork here. I can't, I can't concretely prove that to you. Maybe it was some other thing. Maybe it was something else divinely that Mary said that didn't get recorded here, or that the shepherd said didn't get recorded here. But I think it's important to know that these are written exactly, and that Mary's response is recorded as important. And as we look at this difference, we say, whoa, the shepherds went through some series of things. Mary went through some series of things, even though God spoke to them totally different. Because today our challenge is to take some of these things and apply them to our life today and, and draw back to how do I enjoy then Christmas within the centrality of Jesus here. And we have to look at both the shepherds who listened and also Mary, who listened. The shepherds got an angel chorus. Mary might have just gotten a whisper. And yet she heard it. Verse 20. At the very end, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, and as it had been told to them. If verse 21 continued about the shepherds, I think it would say, and the next night, they were in the fields watching over their flocks by night. They went back, right? They played this part and then they went back to the same thing. 
We find them in the same place where they return, but they return absolutely changed. God worked in their situation, used them, and they return in worship, not in indifference and boredom. See, the problem, the challenge for us in this season is that whether we look at Christmas with this idea that it's awesome, it's glorious, it's amazing, nothing can get better than this, or we look at it with just angst, like, I don't know about this thing. Both, we have a temptation for indifference in this season. If you're so distracted and and you can't think of anything better than a man with a felt jacket and yellow tights coming to your desk and singing you a Christmas telegram, if you love watching all 24 hours of the Christmas story, and that's just your thing, like that's what you do, and that's the most important part of this thing for you, or maybe, maybe you just have these traditions, and, and Christmas always goes the way it always goes, and you know that's what happens. That's just what happens. That's what goes. You hit start, and it goes, and then you wake me up in January when it's done. Christmas is always as Christmas has been, and I love it. Or perhaps you're in the, the negative spot where it's just said, like, I, I'm just tired of this. Same thing. Wake me up when January gets here. I don't like going through the guilt. I don't like going through the processes. I don't, I don't like feeling family close by. I just need this space. Both of these things lead us to a season where we can too often walk in indifference and just hit autopilot and just go on about our days and just be in the fields at night and just doing our thing and wake me up when we're done. This story is so critical to the American church because you see an example of the outcast and the truly favored, both listening intently to how God would speak to them. That is our challenge. Not indifference, but alertness. Not autopilot, but expectation. Not just wandering and saying whatever it is will be, but anticipation saying, God, where do you want to come new again this season? Would you use me? Would you use me in my context? Uh, if we're going to boil this down to super, super simple language, we would say this. The shepherds, the shepherd's story, God showed up for them. You see, God showed up. And then there was immediately, when God showed up, there was fear. And when that fear happened, they had a choice, and they chose courage. When courage ran its course, they ended in worship. And if we were going to oversimplify this story, we would say this. Every one of us has God show up at some point. Even if you're married, God showed up. There was fear in her story, Luke 1. But she acted in courage, and she had these moments where God continued to show up, and she worshiped through it. And we're in the same, same part. You know, here's, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go somewhere this season, and God's going to show up, and it's going to make us fear. And we'll reason him away and say, no, no, certainly, they're just drunk. They didn't mean to talk about that with me. My family doesn't talk about those things. Or we'll show up with indifference, saying, this is just going to go terrible. And it just is what it is this season. I mean, we show up and say, who, me? I'm the one that's sinned the most in my family. I'm the one that's been the farthest from God. 
When I return home, they look at me with judgment and with angst and say, no, 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 no. You can't speak for God. We hold God's voice here because we are the more moralistic followers of him. And you walk into a place where you're a shepherd and there's gonna be fear because of who you see yourself still as. And all God wants you to do is to follow him and go for it. Go for that conversation. Go for it. Walk and follow him. When you hear God's voice and you hear confirmation from him, do not be ashamed of the power of the gospel of God that works so mightily within you. If this is the very first time you've ever returned home as a different person, be bold in that difference. Do not let Satan win out and distract you from being totally, radically, completely changed because the power of Jesus works within you to speak truth into whatever situation you're going into. Or don't be the same person at work in the situation you find yourself that you've always been. The Christmas party is always the same way. The season always happens the same thing. We always take on this much debt. No, be different. Jesus has made you different, therefore be different. And instead of being with fear and letting fear win, go for it. Absolutely go for it. Follow him in courage. And at the very end of it, you'll watch your worship just go crazy because you saw God use you. It's a little oversimplifying. But I'm confident when God shows up, there's always fear. But he's always made a way out of that. In the very end, if God's presence was there, how can we help but worship him? I'm going to call a band up in a second. And I just want to repeat that there's this story that speaks a lot to our current situations. Because I know it's not easy. My situation's not easy. I just told you the good story that I'm expecting over Christmas. But there's like another 10 days surrounding that one. And I know we all are challenged to look at a season that has so much cultural context to it and find Jesus in the midst of that. Because don't forget, he came years and years and years ago to this earth to come and to reach a people that were desperate for his salvation. But he also has come again and he's coming again to use you and work through you in this season. Jesus Christ has made all things new. When he shows up, there'll be fear. Go for it. Act in courage and watch your response of worship to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, today. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to teach your word. Lord, I pray that what is truthful will remain and in the hearts of people we will be able to respond right now in worship of you through song and prayer and uh, Lord, lighting candles and communion and, and, and just be able to find you in the midst of everything else. Lord, I ask that you would speak bold whether it's a whisper or, or a reverberation you've been talking to in, over time and it keeps coming back up, or whatever it is, would you speak boldly into our life right now? And we'll follow you boldly with courage as well. Lord, we love you. We love you. And we are crazy about finding you in this mess. Would you break the hearts of indifference here this morning? 
through the sung word, and through the teaching and preaching of your word, or through prayer, would you break down the idols of indifference and of pride and of self-love in this room? We may walk away a desperate and broken people for you to show up. We love you. God, we do. We want to see you come. In your precious name.